training. We don't spend time training and we don't commit to time to train. A universal complaint I have from practice owners is, oh, we just don't have time. You know, we're busy. We need to put people in place. So we don't have time to train people. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud Veterinary Marketing Podcast. Today, I have the world-famous veterinary consultant, Debbie Boone. You and I are on opposite ends of the United States right now. In this podcast recording program we use, it kind of shows us on the map, and we are literally both on the edge of land. That's right. We are one ocean to the other. (laughs) Well, how's your day going? You know, it's great. I spoke at the Canadian West Conference this morning, Can West, and I was so I was technically supposed to be in Banff. However, COVID has grounded me and we did it virtually and it worked out just fine. Cody Krillman was my moderator, so you know how that went and we had a good time. Yeah, he was he was just on the podcast. He's a good friend and he's uh when you say you know how that went, I know exactly what you mean. Mm. I was waiting for the cow head. He disappointed a little because he had left it upstairs and he was in the basement. But other than that, yeah, he was, <laughs> he was Cody. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. He was Cody. I, I love that guy so much. I appreciate you jumping on. I've been really excited since we reached out to you and, and got you on here. I'm really pumped about it because you work so closely inside the hospital with so many different types of people, so many different locations. So you've kind of seen it all from how this hospital operates, so that how that hospital operates and whether it's geographic location or the types of animals they see. And, and I think with everything that's going on in the world right now, talking to you about just what you're seeing inside the hospitals, how people are managing things, how they're coping with everything going on is really important. Before we jump into that, on this podcast, everyone has to give their superhero origin story. Everyone knows I love the Hulk, but for you, what was the moment in your life where the radioactive spider bit your hand and you became Super Debbie? Oh, well, let's see. I don't know that, that there is a time when I became Super Debbie. I just have always loved what I do. I love animals and I have a degree in animal science. So when opportunity arose for me to get into a veterinary hospital, I jumped at the chance. And that's when I just kind of started this career journey. Over time, your superpowers grow. And starting out, I was 22 years old when I started managing a restaurant and then 29 when I started managing the animal hospital. And then I don't think I really hit my groove for probably five to seven years after that when I'd been through a lot of challenges and educated myself a lot about how people worked. And and growing up, I always grew up in the restaurant business. And anybody who's ever heard me speak knows that my parents believed in putting their kids to work and growing up in humans, you know, just customer service, talking to people, being around people and lots and lots and lots of people I was exposed to. So I think that my my true superpower has really nothing to do with my own personal efforts to do that. It was just environment that I grew up in being exposed to so many people and being an observer of people. Interesting. Yeah, it's funny, you know, and I and I've talked about this on other episodes. My family business was clothing stores in Las Vegas. And 
I feel like I learned a lot working in those stores in high school and a little bit in college, just watching the chaos that would ensue, you know, high-end clothing stores, people in Vegas, they were drinking, they'd win 5,000, they'd come up and they'd buy a $5,000 jacket, they'd go party all night, and then the next day they'd want to return it with stain and, and, you know, and watching what would happen when they weren't allowed to. My content team here at Whisker Club, when they forward some of the crazy reviews that come in, I'm like, yep, that's just like those days. Some of the stuff that people say to these vets, it's unbelievable. Yeah. In the restaurant business, we would have people who would eat everything on their plate and then come up to the front desk and said, well, it really wasn't up to par. And then, well, did you tell your waitress? Did you return it? No, then, <laughs> sorry. And then you go and they, no, they ate everything. They were just trying to get it for free. So there's just a fine line that you walk in dealing with all those customer service experiences where, you know, when you provide good service, but then again, you can't get abused by the public either. So there's a, there's the challenge of that. You know, what's interesting about that? I'm going to say something that everyone at Whisker Cloud would cringe at if they heard me say it. I have a feeling you'll agree with this. I could be way wrong. I don't subscribe to the customers always right. And I feel like I've learned that. Do you agree? I do. The customer is not always right, but the customer is always the customer it behooves us to figure out where they're coming from and how to meet their challenges. Okay, good. I'm glad you agreed with that. Because mm-hmm. I, I say that a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's our job to educate and be there to walk them through things and understand things, understand why things work the way they work. But yeah, it's not, I'm not here to just get screamed at. No one at Whisker Cloud, no one at any veterinary hospitals are here to be a punching bag for people. We're here to help. Well, The reason I was so excited to have you on was because you're on the ground. You work so closely with these hospitals. And in previous episodes, talking about our advertising department with Brandon Brashears, talking about our marketing stuff with Danielle Lambert, one of the big things we talked about on on those episodes was basically the communication internally at veterinary hospitals and even beyond that. My support team here at Whisker Cloud gets anywhere from 100 to 200 plus emails a day. And 30% of those emails are, get this person off my website right now. This reception is quit, get her off the site. And the turnover is extremely high in veterinary medicine. And I think about all of the curbside and all of the COVID protocols and even pre-COVID, all of the craziness that can happen in a day at a veterinary hospital with such high turnover How do they build and maintain processes that someone like you puts in place for them? Well, one of the processes I put in place is better hiring systems. Because a lot of the times the reason we have so much turnover is that we don't hire the right people. And I remember reading and doing some research for a talk that I was giving about hiring at Western States. And I found that most hiring managers spend about five minutes looking at someone's resume and preparing for the interview process. And in fact, you know, as a manager, I can remember myself setting up these interviews and looking down and going, oh, crap, you know, she's going to be here in five minutes. And then racing into the office, breaking from whatever I was doing and quickly glancing at the resume, trying to remember what I talked to her about on the phone and then having her come in and do the interview. So fortunately, this this is, as I said, uh, my superpower became greater the longer I learn to interview people and and interview them well and pre-screen them appropriately. So one of the challenges, we don't ask the right questions. We are hiring people for skill set. 
rather than attitude and fit. Because as you said, I have been in a lot of veterinary hospitals in my time. And each and every one of them is very unique, just like human personalities. These hospitals have a unique culture. And when you bring someone into the culture that's a bad fit, they're miserable and the rest of your team is miserable too. And you may have think that they're going to be a good fit. You may think that their skill set is good. You may be desperate and need a warm body, which happens a lot in these days. But then once they get in there, you realize that you've made a terrible mistake and they're going to disrupt the good thing that you have with the rest of the team. I can remember the last talk I gave, I actually gave with Cody and I, I gave a, a talk that talked about when I figured out I had made a poor hiring decision I would let these people go within two weeks. And people were going, oh my God, what about their 90 days? And what about this? And I went, no, because I figured out that if they were not going to fit into the mental groove of my team, then they were going to be so disruptive. It was better for me to set them free and go ahead and find somebody else who was the right fit. And the other thing was a sense of fairness that said, well, these people have opportunities out there. They probably have interviewed at other hospitals. Their resume is on somebody's desk. It's kind of fresh. And if I let them go within two weeks, they can go and take advantage of these other opportunities, call somebody they interviewed with and accept another job. If I wait 90 days, those opportunities are gone and they have to start all over again. So there was also a sense of fairness there that said, don't make people be miserable because of your own mistake. Go ahead and cut your losses and go and find the right people. So there's the beginning of our problem. Preparation, learning to ask the right questions. And I'm sure for Whisker Cloud, because I know that you are a business thinker, that Whisker Cloud has core values. And a lot of hospitals don't take the time to do the foundation work of mission, vision, core value statement. And we hire people to our values. And when they value what we value, then their chances of being a good fit are much higher than when we have two different sets of core values. I agree with all of that. And it's funny, as you were talking about that, and I think about like what we put together, we have an employee handbook. We have a full PTO schedule. We have our paid holiday schedule. When someone comes aboard, we give them this handbook that kind of breaks down how we envision things, how we do things. Do most hospitals have a, this is the handbook. If you have a question about anything, it's probably in here. In my experience, the smaller hospitals, probably not. The more well-run hospitals, absolutely, yes. And the corporate groups, obviously, there's a huge corporate structure behind some of the large groups, and they do have those things available. It's like how we do it here. And here's the rules basically. But I still go into hospitals and I do a lot of training with Patterson and teaching a communications class. And a great deal of those people, I would say at least 50% don't even have a job description. So if you don't have a job description, how are you to be held accountable for the work that you're supposed to be doing? And how are you supposed to know if you want to accept this job or not when you don't even know what it is? I mean, we, we all think we have a basic idea. But every hospital, again, is unique. And just because somebody worked and they said, oh, I was a veterinary assistant at Hospital A, well, being a veterinary assistant in some hospitals can mean you are a dog holder. 
and that's all you do and clean cages or mop the floors. And then being a veterinary assistant in some other hospitals mean you are one step below a licensed technician and you are the assistant to the technician and you can do a lot of skills. So every hospital is unique and every job description needs to be out there. What do we expect of you? And then how do we onboard you? Because this is the other thing is that sink or swim training. We don't spend time training and we don't commit to time to train. A universal complaint I have from practice owners is, oh, we just don't have time. You know, we're busy. We need to put people in place. So we don't have time to train people. And my caveat is you don't have time to not train people. Because if you don't, they're going to upset your clients and your business will suffer for those things. Not to mention, that's why people quit. We've thrown them into a situation and expect them to sink or swim. And some of them do. Some of them, they manage. But how much better could they have been much more rapidly if we had committed to teaching them and teaching them how we do things here and what their job actually was? I seriously love it. And it's, I'm so glad that this is where this conversation is going. And I'm not, this is not a joke. This weekend, I reached out to two companies that both record all communications between Whisker Cloud team members and any customers we're dealing with, including like email, phone calls, Zoom. And, you know, when I was telling the team about it, it sounds like, oh, good, the boss wants to like spy on us all day. But it's not really like that. But we have a certain standard here. And I need to make sure that that standard is being upheld often. And if if it's not, we need to train on it. So my group of leadership here is going to all, or, you know, they're, they're going to have their employees and train them on this. And then when people are talking to clients, I don't care who you are, what position you're in. This is how Whisker Cloud does it. There's no two ways to say this. There's only one way we do this. And if you say this, then you're good. If you freelance that, then we got to talk about it, make sure you're saying the right stuff. And Yeah, when you just said that about vet hospitals, I assumed during COVID, and listen, my reputation management team forwards me 30 crazy reviews a day. And typically those reviews are over the most minor miscommunication, especially during COVID with a curbside drop off or something like that. And it's it's just been incredible how bad these businesses' reputations are suffering because they're not fully sure who's supposed to go get the dog out of the car, what they're supposed to do with the cat after they bring it in and you know how they're supposed to get the person to pay the invoice. And it's leading to this mass confusion, which then leads to mass bad reviews. Yes. Well, I was doing some work with, with Weave, the telephone company, and I really like Weave because it records all our incoming calls. And we have the two advantages. And I, I, like you said, your staff says, oh, you know, our boss is spying on us. But we also understand that these can protect us, too, because clients will, um, let's call it fudge the truth a little bit. (laughs) And they only remember what they want to remember. So we are instructing these clients about what to do. And then they don't follow the instructions. And they say, you never told me. But, you know, we can go back to that recording and say, well, let's check and see what we did say. And there we are. And then for me, I've recorded hospital teams for many years I used to do it with a camcorder and then it got people become, uh, they just act strange when you do that. So the best way to do it is just kind of take your phone and video them working with clients in rooms and listening to them over the phone. And then rather than me as the consultant saying, okay, how do you think you did? Or here's what I think you did. I would hand them the phone and say, watch yourself and tell me where you went wrong. What do you wish you had said? 
and you correct yourself because people know because they they have customer service experiences and they know what bothers them, but they don't realize when they are the ones who are giving the experience to people that they're the ones who are setting off the negatives. And but once they start to listen to it as an outsider, not involved in the conversation, they see their own flaws and they are able to self-correct, which is much stickier than if I sat there and go, no, you're not supposed to say it that way. Say this, don't say this. You need to tell me why. You need to tell me why I should say it this way. Now, you mentioned something I think is pretty interesting because I kept seeing all this stuff on social media about the curbside and how clients were coming and they wouldn't call on the phone or they expected car hops to come out like it's Sonic and get the animals. And then they didn't bring credit cards and they didn't bring a cell phone. And so why the teams are very frustrated. But what we have to realize is that everybody, because of COVID, is living in a time of low-grade stress. And all of our routines are shot. We don't have habit anymore because all the habit had to change. We don't have our typical support group because whenever we go through times of stress in our lives, we will reach out to friends, family, our social circle for support. And we can't do that either. So we're just really, our brain is just in agitation mode all the time. Well, when we're agitated, we can't learn. It's like being afraid. You're not going to learn how to do math if your teacher is hanging over you with the ruler ready to whap you on the hand when you make a mistake because you're too afraid to think. So once we understand that and we understand what triggers memory, and memory is triggered by visuals, it's also triggered by smell, but we can't do anything about that. So what I did was realize that this was happening and I created a checklist for clinics to use so that they could send this out to their clients. So they they get the appointment, they confirm it, they send this little list out and say, now here's here's your checklist for our COVID curbside because we know it's different than what you've experienced for the last 10 years you've been coming. And it has pictures of their cell phone, pictures of their credit card, pictures of their mask pictures of a thermometer. Are you well? And those kind of things that are visual cues to memory to help people follow through on what we've asked them to do because they don't remember five seconds after we hung up the phone with them what our receptionist told them about their curbside checklist. We built out something right at the beginning of COVID. So we started building out uh, curbside check-in right on the website and you can fill it out from any device and and then it alerts the front desk. So they get an email saying, hey, Adam Greenbaum has an appointment on Thursday at noon with Baxter for his allergies. He's checked in. This is the car he'll be in. And then they know, cool, Thursday when that car drives up, that's Adam and Baxter. I'm going to get him out. We also have something that pops up after someone completes that form that says, hey, you're all checked in. When you arrive, be sure to call or text us. You know, this is how to, you know, this is how to communicate with us. Every hospital's got a different protocol there. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is how we do it. And and it's so funny. At first we couldn't get any of our of our customers to really bite on that. And and then we had one client in Massachusetts and he got like 400 people to do it perfectly. We did a blog post about it. And all of a sudden, 200 people were like, actually, that sounds pretty nice. Can we do it? So we've done that. And what's been really cool is we started building out for clients 
One of our clients in Colorado Springs said, hey, we're really having trouble getting signatures. Can you guys do like a digital signature that either we can pull up on an iPad or someone can pull up on their phone and have them sign it with their finger, whether, you know, for surgical consent? So we started building out online payments, online curbside check-in, all of the forms, all any signatures. And it's been really cool to watch them embrace that technology. It was really hard to get them to do it at first, but now it's great, but they have to, it's like anything else. When we use a new piece of software here at WhiskerCloud to keep ourselves organized, the hospital has to work with us, has to get it built exactly how they want it. And then they need to make sure whoever's watching that email where these check-ins come in, hey, we need you to make sure that you're checking in things. So Thursday, when Adam pulls up with Baxter, you were on top of it. You let us know, watch for the silver Toyota because that's where that's going to be out of the Baxter. So that's how we've done it. And it's been really cool. Well, I hope that going forward, we learned that some of the technology that we brought in for COVID to help us with curbside and to make that process a little more organized, we're going to keep those things because these are all time sucks. I just finished writing a blog called TikTok Time And it's just about the little increments of time that we can save all day long that technology will help us with that will make us much more efficient. And and even things like using talk to text for record charting, which will speed us up tremendously because it will type at 200 words a minute and the average human types at 40. So get my records checked. A digital thermometer that doesn't require it to be put in the dog's rectum, but it can go under their armpit. People like that much better, and it's fast. So there's so many little things, so many little technologies that are coming out. You go, oh, you know, that's no big deal. But it is because just like, you know, pennies make dollars, minutes make hours, and we need to be much more efficient going forward. I know you and Jessica talked about telemedicine because I'm Like her, I'm a huge advocate for it. And I think that moving forward, we're going to have a predicted shortage of veterinarians. It's like 2035, we're going to to be really struggling to find enough veterinarians uh, to service all the animals out there into our world. In fact, I read the other day, 11 million people had adopted or purchased pets, new pets in the last six months, 11 million people. So we're going to have a high demand for veterinary medicine and we're not going to have enough of us. So how do we leverage ourselves efficiently? And I think telemedicine and using text messaging and using recordings and using the tools that you're talking about, building those check-in lists, stopping us from having to have somebody pull their credit card out and swipe it. Let's store the credit card information through encrypted tools that we have. There's so many little things that will make us much more efficient. You know, it's great. You said something and it's, I think about this all day. Most days I'm up at about four. I have a house. It's a town home here in Newport Beach, California, and it's three stories. And the first floor is just my home office. And it's like my little getaway from the world. And I'm probably down here 12 to 16 hours a day at least. And, you know, I take breaks and spend time with my family and walk the dogs and things like that. And I think about my day And I spend a lot of time working and I use personally, I probably use about $500 a month in pieces of software that just automate the stupidest things for me. I have like ordering different supplies. I need both personally and professionally. That's all set up on auto payment. Everything in my life is auto pay. All of my reminders are 
done auto, like everything I can automate in life. And I've actually brought some of that into Whisker Cloud. And I keep reminding our team, I said, you know, we get 150, 200 support emails a day. What if we were to cut that back by 10% and the last person online at the end of the night didn't have to stay on until 6.30 because they just wanted to get those last couple responses out to make sure our clients were taken care of. It's like, so I think about all of those things a lot. And then I go to vet hospitals and I haven't been in nearly as you I've went visited as many of our clients as I could. And the one thing I've always said is I spend an hour there and I walk out and I say, man, that was really chaotic. I, I could not do that every day. <laughs> and I just, and you know, a day at Whisker Cloud back when we were in the office, there was a little bit of chaos here and there. So it's, it's nothing new, but some of those days in those hospitals was just pure chaos. And I think to myself, it didn't feel like there was a plan of action. It was sort of like, okay, we all 85% know what to do. And we're opening the doors. And for the next 10 hours, we're just going to come in and survive. The doors close and it's like, take a breath and let's go fix that other 15% that we weren't positive about all day. Well, one of the things that you mentioned about the chaos and, and some of that is just communication from one area of the hospital to the other. And the larger the practice, the more challenging this becomes. So I have a practice I work with that has 15 veterinarians. And their challenge is communication. I mean, how do you get 75 people to know what is happening at all times? So we set up Slack channels. I mean, it's so simple. It's free. It's easy. We have one for inventory. We have one for doctor messaging. We have one for general and one for fun. And so sometimes it's this morning I was looking at their Slack channel and their team lead for the technical team ran a half marathon yesterday and was actually posting pictures to the Slack channel at halfway through points and while they were encouraging him over Slack. So this was such a great communication tool. Everybody knows when something's gone out of stock. Everybody knows the anticipated date it's going to come back in. And everybody knows the day the flu vaccines are going to be given for the team. So it's just such a great communication tool. And so much of our drama in hospital teams comes from the lack of information that the entire team gets at the same time. So by using just something as simple and free as Slack, we're able to keep up with who gets all these messages. And we just ask them if they've read the message to put an emoji. So we have a recorded accountability list of who, who read what and who knows what's going to happen. And then everybody can share information about situations, uh, for me, one of the most important parts of this is understanding if an animal, that, especially one you've been treating for a long time, is coming in for euthanasia, you absolutely want everybody on the team to have a heads up and to know that's going to happen so that we're not greeting that client in our happy little voice. Instead, we understand that we need to change our tone. It needs to be empathetic. We need to be ready for that animal and that client to enter our building if we're allowing them in. If not, we're prepped and ready to do something with our curbside euthanasia protocols. But everybody is on board with things. And that gives such comfort to the client. And again, going back to some of those negative reviews, I absolutely guarantee you that a lot of them are going to be because people didn't feel euthanasias were handled well and that there's a lot of a resentment there lack of caring. They wouldn't let me in. They're putting my dog to sleep, those kind of things. So it all loops back to communication. Yeah. 
I love that you guys use Slack. We use Slack at Whisker Cloud. We have a no email policy internally. And when even when people forward me emails, I'm like, I don't just write a synopsis in Slack for me. I I get 400 emails a day. The last thing I want to do is get another 30 from every person here. And we're the same way. We have channels, website team, social media team, reviews team, our, our main channel, which turns into an absolute shit show most days. But it's also <laughs> like a nice way for everyone to sort of unwind. And we have, uh, obviously, we manage an insane amount of websites for hospitals around the world. And we build out these awesome photo galleries where clients of the hospitals can upload photos that our team creates graphics and posts out of and testimonials out of and things like that. And probably 40 times a day, it's just, oh man, everyone, you have to see the photo that was just uploaded to this site or you, oh, you should see this dog. Look at this puppy. And you know, like right now we're probably helping about 80 to a hundred hospitals manage and design Halloween contests on social media. So we're just seeing, we're getting 200 emails a day of different pets from around the world and different costumes and stuff. So our Slack channel has been pretty fun lately. That sounds like a blast. I mean, this is always so much fun for that. And then there's the inclusivity. Again, going back to turnover, one of the reasons that we feel like, I think that people leave First of all, we've talked about they don't get trained, but the other ones is they don't feel included. We all know that when you come into a, a team that's been working together for a long time, there's cliques sometimes that form, but there's also just this cohesiveness to them. They have their own inside jokes. They know a lot of stuff about each other. And the new people coming in are outsiders until they make their way into what I call the tribe of the team. So having these communication channels helps them get up to speed faster. And it's almost like they can get involved quickly. They can communicate with each other. If somebody puts something up about running a half marathon, they can say, Hey, next time you run that marathon, I ran one last year. I would love to train with you. And this could be a person who's just started three days ago and you don't know anything about their half marathon history, but now you do. And so it's something that you can find commonality and feel like you are part of the group and get onboarded faster and be comfortable faster. Yeah, it's so interesting. And like I said, I'm just so happy that this conversation, I have no plans for any of these podcast episodes. I know the people coming on and I think, okay, she's the expert in this. It's like, I just recorded with Jessica and it was like, okay, yeah, we know where this is heading. This is the mo- this is gonna be like the telemedicine gospel for most people. And it definitely turned into that. But with this, this is so cool. Cause I'll tell you something, I had a, someone recently start. And after a week, I just said, so what's really standing out to you? And she said, okay, I've been to the vet so many times in my life. I never understood how these hospitals work. And I dealt with the same thing coming from a tech background. I worked with a lot of uh, pet related companies in some vet groups. And here I start Whisker Cloud and doing phone calls and going to visit and and learning about it. And I was like, wow, okay, there is like this crazy veterinary world and they deal with really high suicide rates and they deal with really high turnover and there's constant issues with communication internally and with clients. And it seems to me that six years later, I'm still at Whisker Cloud and I'm still seeing those same exact issues across the board. How do we actually begin to start chiseling away at some of these issues? Because I'm going to tell you something, Jessica, in a previous podcast episode, very much echoed a lot of the things you're saying. It's just like, 
at some point we actually have, we need action. We talk about it endlessly. We write about it. What needs to happen to say, hey, we're going to change this industry right now and it's going to happen? Well, I'm seeing a change because you got to remember, I started doing this in 1985 and I have seen I won't say dramatic change, but I've seen in a younger generation of veterinarians a greater acceptance of the need to understand human communication than some of the older veterinarians in the past. Now, please understand that the the veterinarians who were financially very astute and successful in the past get it that it's a people business. And so many veterinarians and veterinary team members go into it because, and I can't even tell you how many times over my career livelihood life, I've heard somebody say, well, I don't like people. And so I decided to be a veterinarian. Well, guess what? Dogs don't decide to pay you and come to the vet. It is a human (laughs) being that makes the decision. You know, if dogs had the decision, they wouldn't come ever. So how do we reach the humans? And I think that's one of the things that we have to understand that we are truly in the hospitality business. And I related a story this morning when I was speaking at the CanWest conference that happened to me a couple of years ago, I was giving a lecture for an NVA group. And it just so happened that their regional medical supervisor had come to the group and he was a former competitor of our hospital, his practice was about two miles up the road. Of course, it was a much smaller hospital, but he said, Debbie, I always wondered what in the hell you people were doing up there. He said, because first of all, my practice owner was very successful. He ended up with four hospitals and three homes, and he was not hurting for money in any stretch of the imagination. But our clientele was extremely loyal. And we were at that time, probably the most expensive hospital in the town. So he said, we would have people come down here. You'd be full for boarding and they would come down here and want to board their animals with us and try as we might, we could not talk them into just staying with our practice. He's no, no, no. They always would go back to you. And we just wanted to ride around in Steve Cobb's pocket and find out what he was doing down there. But he said, after listening to you talk today, I understand that it was not the medicine and it was not him. It was the hospitality of the team that created such a trust with the clients that they didn't trust anybody else with their pets. And they felt welcome and well known when they came to us because we knew about their children We kept their Christmas cards in an album when their kids were growing up with their pets. We knew them by name. We knew where their family was from. I mean, we spent a lot of time knowing our clients beyond what does your dog need today? And it was that hospitality that bonded the clients to the practice. And we had people who would move two hours away and still drive back for vaccines. So this is why communication is so important to veterinary hospitals. Not only does it It's good for your team mentally. It's good for your business financially. And it is absolutely good for your patients because your clients will say yes because they trust you and you don't get those snarky reviews. That practice that I ran for 19 years, many of the people still work there that I hired and I have been gone since 2005. And I don't think they've ever had less than a five-star review. 
And you know what the funny thing is, like, you hear that and you're like, okay, that sounds like a lot of work, but we do that here. But then you just have some hospitals that just don't care about that, don't care about their website, don't care about having an app that allows people to book an appointment, get reminders, don't care about setting up a good curbside or COVID protocol. I I can't begin to understand why you're talking about the hospital owner who's doing well. I mean, I think about some of the people that come to us and we, we get this a lot. I mean, Lauren, our director of customer experience does a lot of demos here and it's like, well, you know, on our lowest plan, it's $199 a month. And the amount of stuff you get is unbelievable. And people say, nah, I'm paying 60 bucks a month right now. And I got this local guy who maintains a Wix site for me. And, you know, it doesn't really work on a phone, but I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, you know, it's $130 a month more. And you're like, it's like, I have trouble when I listen to those calls that she has. And I read those transcripts. I think to myself, I mean, every day my employees come to me and say, I really need this. It'll help me be much more productive. How much is it? It's 120 a month. This is a single person says, hey, I really would like this task management app. It's 120 a month. I can include my team on it. It's great. I know we're, I know we have this other thing, but we really need this. I don't even think twice. I'm just like, okay, get it. If you need it and it's going to make us better, get better. So why do some hospitals just not want to have a website that's great or that just don't care about SEO. And I'm really tired of hearing the hospitals that say, well, we're not exactly looking for new clients. Well, sure, no one's looking for new clients. And then out of nowhere, a pandemic hits and you start saying, okay, everything's fine. We're busier than ever. 11 million pets have been adopted. We're good. And then the relief bills don't come. And then the relief bills don't come again and again and again. And now you have 8 million Americans who are in poverty that didn't used to be. And now Mm -hmm. you have to maybe fight a little harder to get some clients. And you all of a sudden, uh, you kind of wish you had the website where you had some good SEO and you were showing up. And you maybe wish you had a good social presence that you could have been building over the years. So what percentage do you think of vet hospitals just are never going to accept technology or just don't care about it? Well, it has to do with generations, I would believe, Adam. And then where are they in the world? I launched the first website at our hospital in 1998. And if you looked at it today, you would you would laugh. It was so rudimentary, but it was kind of unique because we had a dog and a cat lobby. And it was something that was important to me. I wanted to emphasize it. So when you came to the homepage of our website, there was a dog and there was a cat. And if you clicked on the dog, it opened you into a tour of the dog side of our hospital and vice versa. If you clicked on the cat and they were cartoons, right? So that's, you know, that, that website's been up that long. So obviously I am an avid believer that you should have presence on the internet. But I think that it's a not uncommon thing that veterinarians are penny wise and pound foolish because they've not had business training. Now, you and I both know you've got to spend money to make money. And personally, I spend money with people who post social media for me because I can do it. I know how to do it and I understand it well. I don't have time to do it and I can spend my time being more productive doing other things. There are still practice owners who are paying all their bills and writing paychecks. And there are people absolutely who can do that for you in a completely automated means. So you're, you have a $200 an hour employee, your veterinarian, doing a $20 an hour job. That's penny wise and pound foolish. 
so I think that people don't understand what it does for you. And years and years ago, uh, oh Lord, I'm telling my age here, I used to spend an inordinate amount of time working on Yellow Pages ads because this was the way you presented yourself to your community. And I've, I've never believed 100% that you get your people from the Yellow Pages ad because I think that, especially for my practice, it was personal referrals. And my premise was always, I'm a woman and I would not choose my gynecologist from a Yellow Pages ad. I want a referral from somebody else. And I think that this, this is the same way about veterinarians, but we do know too now that reviews are personal referrals. They've just advanced from me talking to my neighbor over the fence to now I can talk to 50 of my neighbors and see what their reactions are. And some of them might be crazy, but I can always pick that out, right? It's pretty easy to find crazy in the in the review. <laughs> but I, I don't know that some of the older veterinarians understand that that's how people get their information now. I saw something the other night on probably 60 Minutes with somebody was talking about social media and the news and people believing, not believing any of the traditional ABC, CBS, NBC newscasters or any of the news people that were on TV and probably rightly so for a great deal of the skewed information that we're fed, but that they're also getting most of their news from social media, which is terrifying because <laughs> there's no buffer <laughs> there. There's no control whatsoever about what goes out there, whether it's true or lie, it can all be out there. We're getting our information from different places. And what I tell veterinarians is, Everybody's shorthanded, right? Everybody needs help. And the first thing a young person is going to do is look at your website and decide if they even want to go and apply for a job with your business. And then they're going to look at your social media feeds. And they're going to see what people say about you. And they're going to see how engaged your team is. And they're going to look at all those things, especially veterinarians, young veterinarians. And if you are in the dark ages, they're going to assume that your medicine is in the dark ages and so is your equipment. And they're not going to even bother to look at you. So your website is your first major hiring tool. You know what's great about that? And I think I've told this story on the podcast before. My veterinarian, Huntington Beach Pet Hospital with Dr. Lewis, my wife was there getting point shots for our Boston Terriers and Dr. Lexi Nichols, new doctor there, walked up to her and said, are you, are you Miss Whisker Cloud? Which is just a really cool name for my wife. And she said, I am. And she said, tell, tell your husband that I chose to work here because of the website. And it was so great. And it was just like, I sent a note to the owner, Dr. Lewis. I said, I told you, man, you emailed our team and said, you know, we need help hiring. We put up this really clean, classy careers page. And it's like, oh, it's just in, in it, the SEO behind it's great. The look and feel is great. It's like, yeah, this is what it's, this is what it's like to work here. We did another one for uh, not far from you, VMC Fort Mill, uh, Veterinary Medical Center of Fort Mill. Mm -hmm. They have the number one ranking for Fort Mill veterinary jobs that goes to their site. And they get a crazy amount of applicants. They have an amazing careers page that really showcases what life is like there. And mm -hmm. other vet sites, you probably look at it and you're like, okay, this is not going to be great. And it's old and outdated. And I don't know what I'm going to get on day one. And then you go to the two sites I just mentioned. And it's like, wow, okay, I'm starting a career at a hospital that really cares about people. And the only difference in those two things is just the look and feel of the website. Otherwise, nothing else is different. No. Well, I've, 
I've been on websites and it's one of the first things I do when I start a consultation. Obviously, I'm going to see what other people think about you, what your website looks like if you built it for yourself, which is pretty obvious. And then I'm going to look at those things and and make some decisions and some judgments about you. And I honestly have seen websites that are kind of tours of the hospital. And in the operatory, there will be a Bojangles cup sitting over there on the side. And and you're like, (laughs) really? This is a sterile field and you've got breakfast there. But that's not an uncommon thing. Fortunately, it's getting a little bit better. There are enough people like you out there who are helping these veterinarians make good websites. But this is when they used to do it themselves. And I would just think, oh, my God. And then there was one. I just started doing one with a new vet, one of my new clinics. And she had some testimonials, which is great. You should put testimonials on your website because people won't go to your uh, social media feed and look through the 500 reviews that you have. So put your good ones on there. And almost uh, 75% of them had to do with how kind they were during euthanasias. And I said, could we focus a little bit more on life rather than death on your testimony? (laughs) (laughs) Your website, she went, oh yeah, maybe we should do that. You know, it's really funny. I can remember years ago, this is, veterinarians just think different. And and we can't lump everybody into a, a group, but they're very scientific minded and they think like veterinarians. I walked into a clinic that was close to my uh, last practice that I managed, and we were open 24 hours a day and just started the emergency. So I was visiting our referring veterinarians, and I stopped into this animal hospital that was in this kind of reclaimed house trailer. And when I got to the front desk, they had the skeleton of a cat on the front desk with a picture of what the cat looked like when it was alive. And I, I mean, you know, my marketing brain thought, really? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a dead cat. And here was its live picture. And this is what it looks like after you get through with it. I mean, this is like having a dead goldfish on your counter. You really shouldn't put that impression out there if you're trying to heal things. So they just think differently. Hopefully we can educate them to come around and we work on it all the time. We all do. Do we go back to a question that you asked me earlier? How do we fix it? And And it is absolutely education. And I think that so many people like you and me, I mean, we I've, I've been working on this for 15 years out into the public and for my own teams much longer than that, is to teach about communication, to teach about how people think and to, why these little things matter to the public, because they might not matter to you, but they do matter to other people. And that thinking like the customer, thinking like your audience is so important in order to have a successful business. What do people need and how do I fill that need and how can I show them that I'm filling that need for them and be a partner with them, be their tour guide. But I think a lot of veterinarians, and and Dr. Tom Catazano said this to me a long time ago, and it really stuck with me, that veterinarians are trained like they were for agriculture and food animals. So that's very much production animals. There's no emotional attachment to a herd of cattle. You're going to run them through the livestock pen, and then they're going to be somebody's dinner. So that's how veterinarians are originally trained. But now we've moved away or into where companion animals are family, and they are not those utilitarian cats that ate the mice out of the barn or dogs that herded the cattle or the sheep or the goats, 
out into the field, although they still are animals that do those things. But most of them are creature comfort that is in our house and that is keeping us sane during COVID. And, and we have to realize that the animal's place in the home has dramatically changed from the time I started working in animal hospitals in 1985 to this day. I mean, it is a dramatic sea change as to people's attitudes towards their pets. And we've got to change veterinary training to have that sea change involved. Even now, many of some of the professors at Colorado State was very cutting edge about this. Washington State did a lot about this, but they're teaching communication class. But you can't teach people to communicate in two weeks you know, in situations and understand people. So it's really on the veterinarians, on the veterinary teams to realize that beyond medicine, they've got to learn how to communicate with the people in their world and to do it well. So to the millions of veterinary professionals that listen to this podcast, that's just a rough estimate. Let's say they walked away from this episode. They just wanted one piece of advice from Debbie Boone that they could implement in their hospital today. They're listening to this and they listen to it. They put their phone, they take their headphones off, whatever it might be. And they say, okay, I'm doing this. What is just like a quick win that can get them at least on the right track for some of these other big things? Is it implementing Slack? Is it hiring better? The quick win is going to be this, especially for their mental well-being, is think about the story you're telling yourself. And is it true? Because we tell ourselves lies all the time. We tell ourselves that our clients are difficult. We tell ourselves that our clients don't care. We tell ourselves that our clients don't care about their pets. And the truth of that is that that is completely what we are making up because we never ask the backstory. We never ask good open-ended questions. And so my question, my, my admonition to every human is whenever you're in a difficult situation to be curious, not furious. Ask open-ended questions and shut up and listen. I'm going to use that too. <laughs> so if people wanted to follow you on social media, I read your blog. I love your blog. You oh, just did you. a blog about, you know, I loved what you were talking about with about how like body cues and body language and nonverbal stuff and communication. So where can people find you, follow you and, and get more uh, good tips from you? Well, probably the easiest thing to do is to go to my website, which is dboone to the number two, managevets.com. But if you want to find anything that I've written, if you just do Debbie, spell D-E-B-B-I-E, Boone, C-V-P-M, you will see list and list and reams and reams of information because I've been around a long time and I've written a lot of stuff. The website, all the social media links are on the website. The blog is on the website. I just started a new vodcast called The Bend, which the third episode- I've been watching it. Oh, good. How did you like it so far? I love it. You know, I didn't, I wanted to start with the podcast and then do video. Video freaks me out a little bit, but you're doing a great job with it. Well, thank you. You know, it's a learning curve. And I think that looking at the first ones compared to the ones that I'm doing now, they're getting more professional, a better camera, better mic, understanding a little bit more about leading the conversation. But the, the guests have been fantastic and they tell amazing stories. And I just, consider the fact that everybody's going through this big change 
uh, whether they like it or not, it's here and it's upon us. And we're going to go through a lot more changes before we get through this. So the bend is all about those bends in the road that life throws at us. And then how do we navigate? So I thought maybe listening to other people's stories and how they came through and accomplished things when, you know, when times got hard. I mean, some people have had health diagnosis. Some people have lost jobs. Some people have just their companies have fired them. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. And then how do you move through that? You know, how do you get beyond it? Because I think there's a lot of people who are stuck and the goal is to get them unstuck and get them into something great. That's just waiting down the bend. Love it. Definitely go watch. I love watching video content when I'm on my exercise bike or I I have a dual monitor at my desk. So if I'm tired of listening to podcasts or music, I'll put on videos and yep, I've watched them. They're great. I have one final question for you. Okay. You married your high school sweetheart. You've been together 47 years. Yep. I've been married just over two years. Never had a big fight, which I'm very happy about. Things are better than ever. To everyone out there who's taken in so much information about how to be a better business owner and veterinarian and veterinary professional today, what's the one piece of married advice you can give to everyone? Just one thing they can walk away with. I'm going to go back to the same thing. What's the story you're telling yourself? (laughs) I love it. Because we go back and a lot of times our spouse or our significant other will do something that is aggravating to us. And the story that we tell ourselves is they don't care. They did it out of disrespect. They did it just to aggravate me. But then when we go back and instead of accusing, we become curious and we say, hey, you know, this happened the other day. And I'm just curious as to what you were thinking when that happened. (laughs) Chances are more likely that you're not going to get into a big fight rather than attacking. Because when we attack other people, they get very defensive and then it all spirals into a a big hot mess downhill. So it's all about asking questions and controlling your emotions. Having emotional intelligence is an incredible tool. And the more you work with people or hopefully some people never gain emotional intelligence and they will always suffer for it. But the more emotionally intelligent you are, the more successful that you are in your relationships. If I was going to recommend one book, I would recommend that everyone read Crucial Conversations. It is absolutely the Bible of, of communication for me and Crucial Conversations. I love it. I'm adding it to my list right now. No joke. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on. This was exactly how I hoped it would go. This would be, this was just absolutely perfect. I hope everyone walked away with a ton of stuff that they could start implementing today, like Slack, better hiring, more communication. I'm very big on the Slack thing for veterinary hospitals. Everyone, please subscribe to Whisker Talks, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, rate, review, all of that fun stuff. We'll see you next week. Thanks again, Debbie. You're welcome. It's my pleasure, Adam.